Hello and welcome to Socialism, the Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. How can we fight racism and capitalism today? Black and Asian people have been disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, they're disproportionately impacted by austerity and by all the inequalities and attacks that face the working class. Meanwhile, working class youth showed their willingness to fight racism and class inequality in the magnificent Black Lives Matter protests last summer. So what are the next steps for the movement against racism? The Socialist Party has produced a new charter proposing some key demands in this fight. This episode of Socialism looks at the struggle against racism, a black workers' charter. One of the worst affected sections of society during the pandemic has been workers who are black, Asian or ethnic minority. And the black and Asian group within the Socialist Party has recently produced a new black workers charter addressing some of these problems, but also some of the underlying structural racism which black, Asian and minority ethnic people face under capitalism, even when there's not a global pandemic tearing things up. So here to discuss all of that with us today, we have Isai Priya who's a member of the Socialist Party's National Committee and also organiser of the party's Black and Asian group. Hello, Isai. Hello, Jay. And also Deji Olayenka, who's a Black Lives Matter activist and member of the Socialist Party. Hello, Deji. Hello. So our first question is, how did the Black Workers' Charter come to be? And actually, maybe you should just briefly say why we're calling it a Black Workers' Charter. Sure, James. So the charter itself was a product of discussion within the Black and Asian group in the Socialist Party that's been ongoing since July last year. And it started off with, as you outlined, the fact that Black and Asian people in Britain have been disproportionately affected by the COVID pandemic. Before I go into that, just to clarify on the name itself, we had a bit of discussion within the group about how to name the charter because there are various different terminologies being used. There is Black and Asian, there's Black Asian ethnic minorities, BAME is being used, but there's also different identities within the caucus itself. You know, there's a group of us with people from African background, people from Caribbean backgrounds, people from Asian, Indian, you know, there is different identities within the caucus. So then we decided that although we are all from different background, we wanted to use the term black as a political identity. In other words, you remember the history of black struggle that took place. So that's why we called the charter Black Workers' Charter. But in it, it has black, Asian, ethnic minorities in Britain. And actually, the terminology is a bit more broader, you know, globally as well. So that's a bit about the terminology. But in terms of going back to the disproportionate way that black and Asian have been affected by COVID, it came as a bit of a shock to the mainstream media, I think, when they first found out that, you know, black men was, are 4.2 times more likely to die of COVID than a counter white man. Mm. And it was also revealed that if you're from a Bangladesh or a Pakistan background, you're like 3.6 times more likely. But in generally, it was revealed quite sharply that black and Asian were dying more as a result of the pandemic and more vulnerable to it. So then the question came up to be why that was the case. And for the mainstream media, it might be a bit of a shock. But for us involved in the social movement, for us involved in fighting racism in all aspects of our lives, it didn't come as a shock because 
we have to look at the, some of the statistics that is mentioned in the charter. The fact that 45% of children from a BAME group are living in poverty, that a BAME families are like two or three times more likely to be in persistent poverty. So these are just some statistics that are coming out about the fact that it's ultimately linked to poverty, the class and race inequality that exists within capitalism that has caused the disproportionate way in which black and Asian have been affected by this pandemic. And we wanted to draw out, as well as some of these statistics around COVID and the impact, but we also wanted to draw out more of a broader points about why racism exists within this system and how we can end it but also the question of how do we concretely fight for the rights and to improve the living condition of black and Asian people living in Britain. So the charter has a couple of aspects to it. It has some of the arguments that we're putting forward in terms of the root cause of racism. Mm -hmm. It has a bit of an outline of what is needed to end racism, but also it then concretely has demands in different sections of our society. For example, just to mention like healthcare, education, what is needed to improve the living condition of black and Asian people in those sectors? What are the demands that we're putting forward? So that's a bit of an overview of the charter, if you want to put it. Great. And for listeners who are interested in reading a little bit more about how and why the pandemic has disproportionately affected black and Asian workers. I would highly recommend a brilliant article, an analysis written by one of our Asian members, Jim Hensman, which goes into it all and actually uncovers that really the root of it is the sort of jobs and the sort of living conditions black and Asian people are in, which is to say, fundamentally, it's the class divisions in society under capitalism, which are driving these racial differences. But of course, it's not just been black and Asian people suffering through this pandemic, but there's also been a fight back, particularly among young working class people who exploded onto the streets last summer in the Black Lives Matter movement's resurgence. And perhaps, Deji, you could talk a little bit more about the significance of that movement. Yeah, definitely. Of course, last summer we saw the resurgence of the BLM movement after the shocking murder of George Floyd. And the protests spread around the world but also here to the UK because we all saw that the same injustices that are happening in America also happen here too. Mark Duggan, Cynthia Jarrett, Jimmy Mubenga, there are too many names to list all the young lives that have been stolen from us through police brutality. And in fact, recently there was the death of Mohammed Hassan, who was a young man from Cardiff, and he died the day he left police custody. And the party have been supporting the family's campaign for footage of his arrest and his stay in police custody to be released to the public. And more recently, there were demonstrations both in Cardiff, but also some demonstrations in Parliament Square in the aftermath of Mohammed's death. And the party were there in solidarity with Mohammed's family. And in the demonstration in Parliament Square, the protest was actually quite small and everyone was wearing masks and being socially distanced. And just a couple of days earlier, nurses had done a similar demonstration outside of Downing Street. But despite all this, a van full of police stormed the demonstration, then forced them to leave without giving the protesters a chance to coordinate. They were chasing us away, threatening us with arrest. And it really highlighted the double standards of the police and their aggression against campaigns for justice. No, absolutely. And I think that's a really important point there. 
because of course, Dadji, both you and I were on that demonstration in Parliament Square, and you're absolutely right, the police have been a little bit more hands-off when it came to, for example, sections of key workers who are out on strike, probably because they understand they can't make the same public media campaign against those workers who are dealing with the pandemic as they can attempt to do with black and Asian youth who are standing up against police brutality and murder. So how does the Charter address police brutality then? Yeah, so the Charter has a mixture of the kind of short-term transitional goals related to current campaigns for justice, as well as some larger goals that can be achieved under a socialist government. So of course the Charter directly calls for an end to police brutality. There are also calls to stop specific racist harassment tactics of the police. The Charter mentions how black people are nine times more likely to be stopped and searched by police in England and Wales than white people. And the Charter also calls for the end of stop and search because it's a police tactic that can only be practiced with prejudice. Often you hear lame excuses of people looking suspicious or people smelling of weed. But this can't hide the fact that police are stopping and searching young black teenagers because of where they live and what they look like. And also at the demonstrations last summer, we saw police with horses, riot shields, fully decked out in expensive gear, really ready to go to battle. And this was at the same time that we saw nurses struggling to get good PPE. And so the charter calls for the demilitarization of the police and abolishment of all paramilitary units. And that would include, of course, a territorial support group, which is who we fell foul of at Parliament Square. So that's some of the headline demands which we're putting forward to address police brutality. But of course, it's not just the police. We also see, quite often, racist injustice following through in the rest of the legal system, in the courts and so on, in the prisons. How does the Charter address these injustices? Yeah, the party is well aware of the injustices that are seen throughout the rest of the legal system. We've recently been supporting the Free Siander campaign. Siander is a young woman who is currently serving a four and a half year prison sentence for defending herself against a racially motivated hate crime. She suffered concussions, sprains and damages to her ribs during an attack. And despite all of this, the police didn't investigate the hate crime Instead, they allowed her attackers to continually verbally abuse her. And in this case, as well as in the case of the death of Mohammed Hassan, and for all investigations, the Charter has called for an independent workers and community inquiry because we've seen way too often that the police can't investigate themselves. Too many times there's been no justice, really. But by having workers and community control, we can get the fair inquiries that people deserve. So that means rather than going through the established institutions of the capitalist state and official society, that the trade unions, tenants organisations, community campaign groups, Black Lives Matter activists should elect from among themselves a kind of panel which is then resourced by the workers' movements and can genuinely be independent rather than, you know, this or that figure from a different part of the establishment propping up another part of the establishment. Exactly. And that's within the Charter, the fact that we call for democratic control. Because it is who should make these decisions, isn't it? At the moment, these decisions are being made by the state that is oppressive, by the capitalist system that they are defending. And we say that shouldn't be the case. That decisions should be made in a democratic, by workers, by communities, by people that are involved in it. So, for example, on the case of Mohammed, what that points out, Deji was mentioning, is outrageous that 52 police officers had been in contact with Mohammed in less than 24 hours that he was detained. It's absolutely outrageous. And so we can't let them 
be in charge of an inquiry because they're even refusing to release video footages. So we say who can genuinely represent us is the people who've been fighting on the ground, you know, should be the workers themselves rather than the police officers, should be the family involved and that is a very important aspect of our demands that we're calling for this democratic control in all aspects in our lives to make sure that we have a say in how things are being decided and run. And I think part of the reason why we wanted the police to be a big part of the charter and actually is up on the top in terms of our demand is because it's not just an issue for the US. The killing of George Floyd was what sparked the movement around Black Lives Matter, but it's an issue well and truly alive here in Britain. Black people are nine times more likely to be stopped and searched by the police in England. And we've seen various reports about how black and Asian have been fined more during the pandemic as well. So it's quite clear and obvious to the people that black people are disproportionately targeted. So we thought it's very important that we bring demand on how we're going to change and make it more accountable. But we also understand the limitation of our demands as well, because the police itself is an institution that is defending the capitalist system, that is defending the ruling class, if you want to say it, the rich. So they in no way are going to be representing us. And for us to have a truly control of the police, I would say that we would have to get rid of the capitalist system itself, which we can go into more later. But in the meantime, we need these reforms to make sure that they are accountable, that you know, it is democratic control. And the fact that they, you know, the points that Deji made, that we should oppose privatisation of selling of prisons, for example, and that fundamentally, I know I keep repeating this, but I think it's very important, that it should be controlled democratically by workers and those involved. So some very important points there about the police, which ultimately is a part of the state and so of course defends the existing ruling class in society, which means big business and the rich in a capitalist society. But we want communities to be able to act as a check on the police to limit how much the bosses and their class can use them to attack working class people, limit those effects as part of building a movement to actually take state power and economic power out of their hands, which ultimately is the only way to get a system in society which can actually keep people safe rather than being an oppressive tool for the bosses. But of course, there is also the question, as you've introduced there, Isai, of the prisons and a question of what is their role? Are they there to punish people? Are they there to rehabilitate people? Are they there to protect the public? It seems like the prison system doesn't really do any of those things. What would you say about that, Deji? Yeah, it's clear that the UK prison system is designed to be punitive and it does nothing to give people a chance of a normal life after prison. And I think that a huge reason for this is because it shares the same profit motive which we see in American prisons. In America, for instance, you've heard stories of judges being bribed to hand down harsher sentences. And in fact, here in Britain, the prison population has already grown by over 82% in around three decades. And this has been done to enrich companies like G4S and Serco, which are part of prison privatisation. And the Charter directly opposes the privatisation of prisons and the selling of prisons. In fact, the Charter calls for them to be democratically run and organised by workers and communities. And this really opens up the opportunity for our justice system to be a lot fairer. It means that we can move from a punitive system to one that's focused on rehabilitation and restorative justice so that prisoners can actually have a fair chance of returning to a normal life after serving their sentence. 
And of course, this is also a more effective way potentially to protect the public so that you're not just throwing people back out into society yeah. with the same problems, yeah. most of which are social, yeah. which cause them to become a threat to other working class people in the first place. In some cases, of course, in other cases, simple crimes of poverty and they're not really a threat to anyone. And they're there simply to make profits, as Deji has explained, for the big privatising companies. But of course, as part of that, these crimes of poverty, you see... Some people, particularly from the most deprived working class estates, getting drawn into gangs, being trapped in the prison system, even from their school days. Does the Charter address this terrible situation? Yeah, the school to prison pipeline is really well established. In fact, Martin Nari, who was the former director general of HM Prison Services, he even acknowledged that, a direct quote here, he said that the 13,000 young people excluded from school each year might as well be given a prison sentence. Wow. Yeah. And despite this, the Conservatives have worsened the situation by introducing the Prevent Training Programme, which has effectively criminalised many young Muslim children and brought them under state surveillance from such an innocent age. The Black Workers' Charter strongly calls for an end to this Prevent Programme. But it's not just this, it's the entire policing system that's stealing the future away from children. This is all happening because of a political decision to defund and remove the caring aspects of the state, which normally comes through teachers and mentors in schools and youth centres, and instead to replace that with the punitive hand of the police. And indeed turning teachers and youth workers and even healthcare workers themselves mm. into the punitive hand of the state through this appalling prevent programme, as you quite rightly said, Deji. Yeah. One of the main points in the Charter really was to ensure that we can secure a future for young people, and that involves establishing safe youth centres and investing in their future. So that means education and jobs as well, yes? Yeah, definitely. So this involves ensuring that young adults have a place to go and that the services they need are all there and fully funded and available. In fact, one of the Charter's demands are for more funding into youth services and vital services, including social care, education and the NHS. And we also recognise that poverty is what stops children from doing their best in schools. And that's why, just like Marcus Rashford, we call for free school meals, as well as free travel for young people. For all young people? Yes. So how else can we help protect children from the trap of crime? Yeah. Really, it's poverty that drives many young people towards making money in any way so that they can try and support their parents who are under financial stress. And the reality is that at the moment, fraud and petty crime pay better and have better working conditions than the very few legal jobs that are available to young people. And this is why the Charter calls for no imprisonment for crimes of poverty, but also recognises the need for safe communities for all. And this can only really be achieved by radically changing the economy. So as part of this, the Charter recognises a need for a mass investment in jobs and training, as well as an end to low pay and the scrapping of zero-hour contracts, as well as an end to the super-exploitation that we see in the gig economy. Beyond this, it also calls for the immediate increase in the minimum wage to at least a real living wage of £15 an hour. And for many people who can't work because of disabilities and other circumstances, it also calls for an end to enforce poverty. And this means having the right to decent benefits, an end to sanctions, as well as pensions for all. 
And this would go a long way, wouldn't it? As well as solving the direct economic problems, mm. it would go a long way towards addressing the alienation which a lot of young people feel, which on top of the need to simply survive, mm. which drives some people towards petty crime, the need to have a sense of belonging when yeah. all of society is telling you you're not going to be able to get a degree and if you do you come up with loads of debt you won't have a good job you're not going to be guaranteed a home there is no future for you so where do you get that sense of belonging and I'm sure that is an aspect of what drives some young people into this dangerous direction as well but talking specifically about education a little bit more then during the Black Lives Matter protests we heard calls to decolonize the education system how does the charter respond to these calls yeah that's true I've had discussions with teachers who are keen to get unions to fight for the decolonisation of education, and it's clear that there's wide support from all aspects of society. And so the Charter supports changing school curriculums to include black history, working class struggle, as well as trade unions' records in fight and racism. However, just like our policing demands, we know that the capitalist state won't offer education on things like anti-colonial revolutions, or other parts of black history. So all of the changes to the education system that I've previously mentioned can only really be obtained through parent, teacher and student democratic control of the schools and curriculum. And that's one of the core demands in this Black Workers Charter. And this, alongside demands such as cancelling all student debt and free tuition fees, are also in this charter and our youth charter. And... Really, even without going as far as transforming society, aspects of this can be won on the basis of trade union struggle, student struggle. We can get a little bit of this introduced back into the education system. But Deji's absolutely right. If we want to get it all in there and get it in there permanently, that does involve changing who's in control of it all. OK, Isai, what does the Black Workers Charter have to say about the issues black workers face in the workplace itself? Well, the clue is in the charter itself. There's a reason why we called it Black Workers Charter because all black and Asian people face racism. There is no question about that. But we do think the fact that if you're a working class, if you're a young person, then you face more racism in society because of the conditions that you are driven into. Deji was talking a lot about poverty facing young people, but that is the case for workers as well. If you look at it, a third of all working age black African are key workers. They have been working during the pandemic. They are some of the low paid workers in our society. And that is a case that we find that within the black nation, a lot of workers are in jobs of insecurity, facing the prospects of losing their jobs. We're talking about a looming unemployment coming along and this is going to disproportionately affect the um, black nation workers. So we do think and it was important for us to have a big section on the charter for what we can do in the workplace itself. And if you look concretely, there is a higher unemployment rate within the BAME groups. I think it's 6.3% compared to 36 from a white background, which is like twice more. If you're a black school student who's just finishes A-level, you are on average 14.3% less paid than your counterparts. And it's been estimated by Equality and Human Rights Commission that on average black workers with degree earn 23.1% less 
than white workers with a degree. So you can see a huge inequality that exists within the workplaces. On top of that, you find that workers are facing extra barriers and discrimination and racial discrimination in their own workplaces, some hidden, so it's not very obvious for it to be challenged, some more visible that needs to be challenged. And so we say that we need to make sure that we have demands that can fight racism in workplaces. And some of the things that we're putting forward in the Charter is that we think all workforces should organise an anti-racist training programme for all staff as a mandatory requirement so that we can tap into the unconscious bias that exists. For example, so it kind of raises awareness and we say that these should be overseen by trade union activists, elected shop stewards to make sure that they are run in a democratic way and no one is discriminated. We also want to make sure that there are fairer reporting system, free from judgment, so that any type of racial abuse, verbal or physical, needs to be reported and acted on by the management immediately. And these incidences are reported and recorded and logged to be reviewed by shop stewards and trade unions so that everything is open and accountable and that these managers, because we don't trust management, we don't trust the bosses to be able to run in any kind of fairer way. So we yeah. say that it should be workers, it should be elected shop stewards that should be looking into this, making sure that grievances or disciplinaries are properly conducted and there is no kind of racial bias involved in that. At the same time, we're putting forward more broader points of fighting against any kind of job losses or cuts in the workplaces. And actually, the pandemic has revealed what is needed is more workers, more workers in the NHS, more workers in transport. And there is absolutely no need for the government to cut funding or cuts the jobs that are vitally needed. The whole lie that no jobs is required. I mean, we need more teachers. After the pandemic, a lot of students, a lot of children are going to go into school and they need extra support. The pandemic had a massive effect on our mental health as well and the need to be able to provide more support. We need more support staff. So we completely disagree with the idea that jobs are not needed. We say more jobs are needed and the trade union needs to be fighting to make sure that not just black and Asian, but all jobs are defended. And there is enough money in the economy to make sure that enough jobs is provided. I just quickly wanted to touch on the aspect that there is more available because people listening might think, but we are in an economic crisis. Mm. Is there money available? And actually there is. It's shocking. Like in Britain, there are six richest individuals are wealthier than the poorest 13.2 million people. And the gap is widening. The wealth accumulated by the multinational companies are exploited, you know, unpaid labour, we would say, that capitalism is exploiting workers. And there is money, even that little figure that I said, the fact that the six rich individuals <laughs> own as much as the poorest. But this, that was a figure for Britain. If you look globally on Oxfam has calculated that the combined wealth of 10 wealthiest men in the world has increased by 400 billions from mid-March to the end of 2020. That just in that period alone, they increased it by 400 billion pounds. That is enough, if you give you an example, that is enough to vaccinate everyone in the world. That's how much money they made. The whole lie that there is no money, we completely disagree with. And that's why, you know, towards the end of the charter, we also say that, you know, we can't control what we don't own, that, and we need a democratic 
plan or production and that we need to, you know, make sure that, you know, money is redistributed in the interest of the majority of the people. Because we're talking about inequality, which has sharpened or exposed more viciously by the COVID pandemic. But actually, that is going to result in more inequalities across the world. And black and Asian people are going to be more affected, not just in Britain, but globally. I mean, if you be talking about the vaccine program, the vaccine program hasn't even started in some parts of Africa or India, where it's going to be completely deprived from it. And it's actually estimated that the poverty level is going to increase quite drastically. I haven't got the figures to hand, but the UN has estimated that the absolute poverty is going to increase quite drastically after some kind of vaccine program has been able to reach the majority of people. So we do need to fight and we need to fight to make sure that we have as much resources as possible and that these super rich are absolutely taxed so that we do have the wealth to make sure that we can implement these very important demands and we would say that it's very possible to do that now. One of the highest profile workplaces has been the National Health Service where there's a big proportion of black and Asian workers in medical roles, nursing roles, but also support staff, cleaners, porters and the like. And healthcare is a major issue for black and Asian workers for all sorts of reasons. So what does the Charter have to say about that, Isai? Well, there's two aspects, isn't it? There's workers in healthcare itself and there is those that use the services. So in terms of, like you mentioned, the fact that there are more black and Asian in the NHS, 40% of doctors are from a BAME background. And in London, 67% of adults, social care workers are from a black and Asian background and 50% of the nurses are from the BAME background. So their charter kind of addresses two aspects of it. First of all, what is needed to protect those workers, you know, that they should be given the adequate PPE that is required to make sure that they are protected from the pandemic. But we also talk about what is needed to protect the black and Asian community in general, not just them, but all the population. And that means that we need to make sure that we have a fully funded national health services free at the point of use. And that means a massive investment into our NHS. We need to scrap all PFI, these private finance initiatives. We need to cancel all PFI debts so that money can, you know, all the investment can go into the services to provide the services that's needed rather rather than to pay off debts. But also if you look into it, you'd be shocked to hear that if you are from a migrant background coming to work, you are being forced to pay for the NHS subcharge, which basically means there's a kind of a double taxation. So you pay for your tax as well as to be able to use the NHS. And the Tory, they have done a number of U-turn in this pandemic, even before that, but they've been doing so many that I lost count of how many they actually done. But one of the U-turns they made was that they have now come out to say that the NHS workers don't have to pay the NHS subcharge which I think it was outrageous that they had to pay at the beginning but you know they said that but that is not for all the migrant workers so we would say that we have to stop this double taxing migrants in the NHS and one of the other demands that we have in the healthcare bit of the charter is on more mental health support and refuge centres. And this is kind of touching on what Deji was saying earlier on about how young people in poverty are being pushed into poverty crimes and the fact that there is no youth services available. And you can see a lot of young people, but not just young people, a lot of black and Asian workers are facing more mental health issues, particularly now with black and Asian workers who have been suffering more at the pandemic, you know, have been in hospitals and so 
there is a rise on mental health issues and we say that we should have more funding for mental health support and refuge centres but also like look more into what is causing these and how we can address the issue of mental health in general because and it's how it's being used by the government as well. I mean, we need more information on this, but we actually found out that if you're a black person, you are four times more likely to be detained under Mental Health Act hmm. than a white person. And actually, we need more research on that. We need more facts on that. What does it actually mean? Whether it's being used discriminatory against black and Asian people. So we pointed that out in terms of needing a change and more information on that but also more generally, more funding for the mental health and refuge centres. And then just the other thing I think we said, which is going to benefit everyone and that it should never have been in the first place, is that prescription charges, the fact that you had to pay for medicine, we don't think that should exist. We think we need to get rid of that completely so you know you can get free prescription as well as dental care. In the pandemic, it has been revealed that it's very difficult for people to get dentist appointment and people are being forced into getting private treatments, which can cost 4000 plus which is you know a lot of money people can't afford mm. i read in this week's socialist that people are using the old method of trying to take off your teeth by slamming the door which i don't want to go into but you know people forced into putting them through pain to be able to sort out issues that could be done through the nhs so we're calling on dental and healthcare charges to be removed as well part of healthcare in the charter it's been over three years since the Grenfell Tower catastrophe, atrocity, really. Still, there has been no justice for those working class people who were killed and for their families. Many of them, of course, black and Asian. But the housing crisis generally is a problem for all of the working class and much of the middle class in Britain. Like a lot of these issues, by the way, they are general class issues, but there is an added dimension for black workers within that. So what does the Charter have to say on those issues, Deji? Yeah, Grenfell Tower really exposed how BAME communities are disproportionately affected by government neglect and their cuts and their privatisation. And really it's shown in the stats, such as the fact that 44% of black African and 40% of black Caribbean households rent social housing. And the Socialist Party recognises that the tragedy of Grenfell Tower can never be allowed to happen again. And so it's for this reason that the Charter demands the removal of all unsafe cladding, as well as a community and trade union-led inquiry into the tragedy. And beyond that, actions must be taken to make sure that all homes are safe and that it's not tenants that are paying for it, but rather the developers and the landlords who have cheaped out and risked lives. And really, the housing crisis is still such an issue for young black people, particularly in London, where many have no hopes of being able to get their own home or live in a council house near where they grew up. In fact, many statistics back this up. Homelessness amongst black households rose by 48% in the five years from 2012 to 2017. And this is really just a sign of the levels of the housing crisis. In fact, for many young people, if they want to move out of their family home, then really the only option is to be exploited by private landlords and to be forced to pay huge rents for poor quality housing. But the truth is that many people, many migrants, aren't even able to have access to the private housing market. A survey found that 33% of private landlords were less likely to rent to someone that didn't hold a British passport. And so the Charter recognises these issues and demands a cap in private rents, as well as calling for a mass programme of building council houses and for an end to evictions. 
there's been a number of mentions of migrant workers in the charter so far mm. and that's quite a sensitive question I think because even a lot of black and Asian people who live and work in Britain have concerns over questions of immigration given how much public services, housing, jobs, pay have all been battered. So what does the Charter have to say about immigration specifically? How do we satisfy the needs and rights both of refugees and asylum seekers and migrants and understandable concerns about public services and so on? No, you're right on that. And actually, immigration is a favourite topic of the right wing. You know, we saw it during Brexit that has been used by both sides, Leave and Remain, about immigration and the propaganda against it. But there's two sides of it, isn't it? So we disagree with the ruling class and the right wing trying to use immigration to blame, because what they're doing is scapegoating migrant workers and the black and Asian people in Britain to blame them for the lack of services available, whereas we don't think that is the case. We think it's austerity measures that caused the crisis that we're in. If you talk mm. about the NHS, you know, it's not an accident. We, as a country, went into the pandemic with the smallest number of ICU beds in Europe. Europe. And actually, when you look at it, our hospital beds has been halved in the last 40 years, I think, which is an indication of the neoliberal policies of the government, the Tories and New Labour before that, about how they made sure that there is the bare minimum services available to not kick them out of power, but at the same time, enough for them to carry through the neoliberal offences. And so we completely disagree with the rhetoric that it is the migrant workers or immigration that is causing the strains in our services. Having said that, there is a genuine concern in the number of people in the immigration figures, and that is being further accelerated by the huge refuge crisis that we're facing in the world with the foreign policies of countries like US, even the UK in terms mm. of its foreign policies. If you look at it, the fact that we're still supplying money to Saudi Arabia is one example of how the UK have been contributing. So I do think all of these questions need to be addressed in terms of the foreign policies of the country and the fact that the UK is not going to go around bombing parts of the world so that people have been desperately pushed into leaving their home or abandoning their families and countries which is not an easy choice that's the other thing we need to recognize people are pushed into this whether it's the desperate conditions in terms of corruption and the war but also poverty is pushing a lot of people to seek a future for themselves and their family and we do not blame them for trying to do that so i think on the question of immigration we said in the charter that we should end all hostile environment policies that have been put forward first of all by theresa may that's been carried on by the other um, home secretaries and we say that we want to call an end to all racist immigration laws and that is quite an important demand because if you look at the Windrush generation the fact that this generation has been targeted quite unjustly and still we're still waiting for the compensation to be given for the victims so these kind of policies need to be stopped immediately but we also call for community and trade union oversight into our borders because if you are rich, if you are, you know, a private estate trying to buy loads of housing and make profit out of them, you have no borders in terms of coming to Britain and mm. staying here. I mean, there is no borders exist for you. And if you're rich, you can go whichever part of the world. You can use as much services as you want. But if you are from a working class, poorer background, then you are challenged. So I do think 
the question is who makes these decisions on the borders and at the moment it's not working class people we don't have a say on who comes in and who can stay so I would say that one of the things that we need to put forward is oversight onto our border controls which I think will be a really important demand and having trade union oversight of the borders as well exactly yeah. this was prevent unscrupulous bosses from shipping in labour from overseas and cynically paying those workers who've just arrived less than workers who are already here. The trade unions can say, yeah, okay, they can come in, but they come in as a trade union member and they pay the rate for the job and you can't use that to divide workers against each other and drive down wages. Yeah. And that would solve a lot of the problems. No, exactly. And actually driving down wages, a concrete example will be what's happening in the detention centre. And we found out, like, you know, this is known to everyone now, but it took a bit of revealing to find out that those in detention centres are paid as little as £3 an hour to work in the detention centre. So they're using these detainees, and some of these are refugees, they're using these detainees to do the work and paying them the bare minimum. I mean, I would say it's really exploiting those workers, and it's such a form of exploitative labour. So they're paying these detainees £3 an hour, and that means that workers who were doing those jobs have haven't got jobs anymore so we want to make sure that there is a rate of pay for those jobs so that migrant workers can't be used as a form of a cheap labour because that is what's happening is so we need to make sure that there is a rate of pay for the jobs to make sure that we all paid the same amount so we're calling on that as well a part of under immigration charter and one thing I would like to raise in this as well is the question of representation as well we talked about this we talked about a lot about democratic control of oversight of the trade unions but we also need our political representation as well because because at the moment we got a lot of black and Asian politicians who are not at all representing us. We got loads to give examples of. We got Rishik Shunak, we got Sadiq Khan and Priti Patel, I would mm. say, is on the course to being the most hated politician. I mean, the fact that she this week came out against the BLM movement saying that, oh, she'd never agree, she doesn't agree with taking the knee, but also more broadly saying how it was disgusting that they was come out, she doesn't support the BLM protests. Actually, she went as far as saying that she doesn't support all protests, but then was quite quickly taking that back and realised what a big mistake that would be for her, the right to protest, to remains a right for workers and you know for us to be able to have a say but she has come out against those days and she is not a representation that we want she might be from a black and asian background but she is not representing black and asian people in any of those policies in anything she says and in fact i would say that she is the voice of the capitalist class and the tories that she is representing and so one of the demands in the charter that we're saying that we don't trust any capitalist politicians, we don't trust these right-wing politicians that are not representing us. We need a working-class political representation, a voice for us, both you know in various aspects of our lives, but most importantly also in our political sense as well, that we want to be able to vote and elect people that represent us. And that means what is the programme, what is the policies they stand on, and that is what it comes down to. So one of the demands in the charter is for that, that we need to fight for a new mass workers party on our interests that represent our interests and so that is one of the demands that we're putting forward right at the end because we do think they're all connected these charters although we're talking about different aspects of it so like we're talking about healthcare education the racism that exists in all aspects of our lives but it's also all very much connected and the final point I would like to say is that austerity you know we talked a lot about poverty and austerity and the choices that these capitalists carrying through this neoliberal attack 
works and we are completely against that and we do say that this is being impacted more on the black and Asian people and so we need to completely come out and fight for the most unified program that we can to be able to put forward a fighting program and that comes down to who in society what force in society can make that change and we say in the socialist party that it is the workers that have the power to change society i mean the pandemic has been terrible but it revealed a lot of sharp things the fact that it is key workers that run the society it is the healthcare workers it is those on retail the transport workers who run society it is them that have the power not the bosses not the multinational companies because it is us that control the power and that is not an accident because we in the socialist party you know we say that this capitalist system one of the ways exploitative is by exploiting the labor of the workers and so it is us that have the power we are those that can make change and so therefore we link that up quite clearly in the charter that we need as well as fighting for these concrete demands here and now we need to build a mass movement that would be able to unite us in a program because you know we're from all sorts of backgrounds but one thing that unites us is what we're fighting for we are fighting for a better life better living standard and for our livelihood and our health and that means fighting for policies socialist policies that are absolutely essential to improve our life for fundamental change and that is the program that we're putting forward and it's on that program that we can unite everyone as a working class to fight against this oppressive exploitative capitalist system itself so these important points you're making about austerity, you'd also mentioned earlier on mm. that the bosses and their political representations, the Tories, the Blairites and so on, they attempt to use migrants and black and Asian workers as scapegoats to say that it's their fault for all the cuts and privatisation which they've carried out in defence of the profit system and the capitalist class. And I think that's really important because... Deji, you'll have seen this, we've all seen this, we were all on the Black Lives Matter protests when they exploded onto the scene last summer. That was black and white youth, actually. Mm. Working class black and white youth. And this point that it affects all of us, not just all black and Asian people, but all working class people and many middle class people as well, actually, in Britain and around the world, this is key. Because the point I think the Socialist Party would make here is that the fundamental dividing line in society under capitalism isn't race. Mm. That's not to deny racism. Racism is a very real and serious problem. But as Pretty Patel shows, the fundamental dividing line is class. Mm. That Pretty Patel does not represent working class people of any race. So our demands for things like closing detention centres, for the right to work for asylum seekers and refugees, these are part of a general demand for housing for the whole working class, a general demand for decent, well-paid jobs for the whole working class. That's just a component of it. So you talked about a programme which can bring all sections of the working class together to fight both racism and its source, a society based on class divisions. So perhaps we should conclude by looking at how to use the Black Workers Charter. What do you both think about that? Well, we got it in a leaflet format and we also have it at the centre page in our socialist paper last week. So it's available for everyone to print a couple of copies out and, you know, give it out to the people that you know and have discussion with. We are in a lockdown, so there is only so much we can do. 
but we say that at the moment if you're a worker then you could use some of the demands in the charter to put forward a motion in your own trade union branch and to start the discussion on what is needed if you are willing you know we got poster version that can print it out and be stuck around and so basically what we're saying is that normally we would like to be able to do stalls and activities and be able to take the charter as broadly as we can we can't do that at this stage so the little things that you could do is making sure that we give it out as widely as possible but start the discussion I mean if you're listening to this podcast I would say the first thing for you to do is read the charter and let us know what you think whether you want to add anything onto it if you disagree contact us you know we'd be willing to discuss so that is the first thing that you can do if you're listening and the next thing that we want to do is take it as broad as we can to the labour movement and to the wider society in general and that's the kind of things that we would like to do but this is not the final thing because things are changing so we would add amend you know and stuff like that but one thing we do want is that this should be used as a tool to start the discussion on Mm. what kind of demands are needed to fight against racism and what demands are needed to improve the working and living condition of black and asian people but in general the whole society is a point that we're putting forward so that's some of the things that you can do in terms of taking it out anything you'd like to add deji yeah, as, as I was saying, I think that this document should really be taken out to any campaigns, any local campaigns that spring up over the coming year. And we should see how people react to it, see if there are new clashes and new kind of sources of oppression that people are facing. And we're ready to include those and address those in our charter. And I also think that it's important that we continually adapt this charter so that we can reflect any new growth or any new changes that are happening in the lives of black and Asian people around the UK so that we can be at the forefront defending them against any form of racism or oppression. And you can hear more about the fantastic Black Lives Matter movement, the history of struggle, particularly the Black Panthers, and also what are the root causes of racism in society and how we can address those with a revolutionary socialist programme to overcome them and finish them for good. You can hear more about all of that in episode 72 of the podcast. You can't have capitalism without racism. But for all this magnificent detail on how to fight racism in Britain today, thank you so much to both of you, Isai and Deji. And as always, listeners... If you like what you've heard, recommend us to your co-workers and friends, donate to help fund us, and if you agree... Join the Socialist Party. Do you want to say it as well, Deji? Yeah. Do you want to do one, two, three? Yeah, I'll do it, okay. So, one, two, three... Join the Socialist Party. Join the Socialist Party. (laughs) (laughs) All right, take three, take three. One, two, three. Join the Socialist Party. Join the Socialist Party. Okay, that'll do. Thank you very much both. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers' International. Today we heard from Isai Priya and Deji Olayinka, and I'm James Ivins. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. You can find further reading in the notes in your podcast app and at socialistparty.org.uk slash podcast. If you want to get in touch, email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Do you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for? Now is the time. Apply to join at socialistparty.org.uk slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for a Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We rely on funding from the working class, which maintains our political independence. 
So help us take the fight to the capitalists. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk slash donate. Till next time, solidarity.